Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 236, Holloway versus Poirier 2. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in the ATL, a rematch of one of the most impressive submissions in UFC history. Yeah, the first fight happened seven years ago, and just this card in general, man, these top two fights, it doesn't get uh, much better than this. So you got guys like Dustin Poirier, who has put on some of the greatest fights in UFC history, and then the greatest featherweight of all time, Max Holloway. You know, it's definitely going to be a good card. And when you got Kelvin, the guy who's been knocking down every middleweight that he's been fighting recently, and uh, Israel, who's made it to a title fight one year in the UFC, I mean... Uh, it's going to be a good card in the ATL. Man, it's going to be epic. They definitely hooked us up. We've been waiting for the UFC to come back to Atlanta since UFC 201 when Tyron knocked out Robbie Lawler. But now we get the rematch of Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway. Not only is it a rematch of one of the best submissions of all time, like I mentioned, but with Max Holloway, he has the most significant strikes landed in featherweight history. Dustin has the most significant strikes landed in lightweight history. Now they're clashing for a belt, and uh, I have a feeling it's going to be chaos. Yeah, 100%. I mean, when these two guys fight, it's always going to be chaos. Uh, generally means someone will get knocked stiff. Absolutely. So let's do this whole card start to finish, my man. Because first up in the Bantamweight division, we got Brandon Davis. He's 9-6. and six, And Randy Costa, he's 4-0. and oh. And currently, they got Brandon Davis minus 170. The comeback on Randy Costa is plus 150. So we know Randy Costa... He's made light work of everyone he's fought, but they haven't quite been UFC caliber. He is, however, a, a main training partner of Calvin Cater, and you know Brandon Davis. He's Jason Knight's striking coach. He had the fight of the night with uh, Steven Peterson. Last time out, he fought Zabit. What do you think about this matchup? Yeah, Davis is dropping the 35s for the first time. He's a real tall dude. Costa, I mean... Not only is his competition level a little suspect, I mean, but when you're fighting the slushy vendor in the <laughs> venue, I mean, you know, <laughs> that's the type of guys he's been fighting. 4-0, 4-KOs. I mean, I guess the kid's got some power, but I think Brandon Davis should take this with his experience. Although, you know, he is a subpar 500 UFC fighter, just his experiences in three-round wars with, you know, Boshniak, Barzola, I think that'll get him through this fight. I think Davis, you know, he's got a puncher's chance early, but uh, I think once the fight settles in, Davis should uh, take over. You mean Costa has a puncher's chance early? Yeah, Costa, my bad. So, I mean, I agree. Look, Costa has handled everyone he's fought accordingly, but the thing is he hasn't fought anyone. So now there's a big step up in competition with Brandon Davis making the drop to 35. Uh, he was weighing 150 about a week or two ago, so I think he's going to make weight, and I think his experience is going to lead him to a victory. Will it surprise me if Calvin Cater's main training partner gets a victory? No, but I have to side with the experience, and I will go with Brandon Davis. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Pollyanna Botelio. She's 7-2, and two, and Lauren Mueller, she's 5-1. and one. Currently, they got Pollyanna Botelio, minus 175. The comeback on Lauren Mueller is plus 155. Well, Shaq, both of these women are coming off first-round submission losses, and uh, now one of them is going to have two L's in a row. The other one's going to get back in the win column. Who, uh, who takes that next step and gets a W? Yeah, you know, I think this is one of those typical, you know, closely matched female fights. You know, Batello was a big, uh, I don't want to say hype, I will say hype job going into her last fight against Calvillo. She was the favorite in that fight, and she got completely blown out the water. She had no fight uh, when Calvillo caught those kicks. She went to her back twice and uh, got tapped out with a no-hook choke. So, you know, it definitely lets me know that she's definitely nowhere near that level. And Mueller, she's only got, what, like five, six fights? Mueller's only got five or six fights. And her last fight, I mean, she was lined very high. So she definitely, minus 500. Minus 500. She definitely did not perform like the minus 500. So she was also a hype job. Um, it's kind of tough to say, man, because I'm not impressed with either girl. I think Pollyanna's got some hard uh, left kicks to the body, and we have actually seen Mueller hurt to the body before in her win in the UFC. But, uh, man, 
I feel like she's got a cardio issue. I feel like she's not the toughest girl. I feel like Mueller's issue is just greenness, really, with uh, getting caught in that armbar. You know, uh, I think she dropped her or maybe a slip prior prior to that happening. So I think Mueller's got the better cardio advantage. So I'm, I'm going to just go with the underdog here. But it wouldn't surprise me if Batella got the win. But at minus 175 against a, a level uh, with the you know, type of fighter that she is, uh, I think it's something to stay away from. Yeah, listen, I agree with Pollyanna being slightly favored here because she has fought the better level of competition. Going from Cynthia Calvillo, who's, you know, top five in the world, in my opinion at least, to now Lauren Mueller, who's not even anywhere near the rankings. This is a good uh, chance for her to have a nice showcase fight. And one thing about Pollyanna, she kicks super hard, makes funny sounds when she kicks. But one thing is that she kicks hard and uh, Lauren Mueller's got good hands. So what do you favor more, the hands of Mueller or the kicks of Botelio? I'm going to go with the kicks and the experience of Botelio to get a decision win here. Now next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Montel Quick Jackson. He's 7-1 and one, and Andre Sukumtath is 13-6. and six. Currently they got Montel Jackson minus 470. The comeback on Andre Sukumtath is plus 375. Well, Shaq, do you think a guy that's 1-1 one one in the UFC should be minus 470 here against the very experienced Andre Sukumtath? I mean, when your name's Montel Jackson, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like we said in the past, before he fought Ricky Simone, we think this is a future top 10 guy. I still believe that. I mean, he ran through a vet like Kelleher like it was nothing. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure if he runs through Sukumtath like that just because Sukum, uh, Sukumtath, sorry, I'll stop calling him Sukumtath, but... Uh, <laughs> Sukumtach, uh, he's just a big one-shot counter-striker. So, I mean, of course you have to respect that. He's got double-digit knockouts, over double-digit knockouts, 11 or 12. So, And we saw what he did his last fight to Martinez. Uh, he floored that kid pretty bad. So, of course, he's got to worry about the big right hand of Sukumtach. Like, everyone knows when they fight him. And uh, what historically does Sukumtach not do well on when it goes to points, man? So, I think all his losses are by decision. Until, uh, Montel's just on a different level, man. This guy, uh, show. I mean, he's only been a pro for like a year, a year and a half, two years. and A year. A year, yeah. A year and some change, maybe. But uh, the guy's on a different level. I think he'll be in the top 15 by the end of the year. So, I got Montel Jackson. Whether it's by decision or a finish. Yeah, Montel Jackson's one of the most impressive prospects in the bantamweight division his hands are bigger than Ngannou I know everyone's already told you that the guy I mean his UFC debut is so impressive against Ricky Simone who's currently a top 15 guy Ricky Simone gets him in the worst possible spot you can be in in any MMA fight which is uh face down ass up and uh, someone's got both hooks in Basically, fights get finished from there with anyone else, but Montel Jackson, the dude's arms are so goddamn long that he was able to hold on to Ricky's arms, and basically, Ricky wasn't able to get off any ground and pound, and Montel was able to get back up to his feet. So, not only does Montel have the heart, but he's... On a week short notice. On a week short notice. Not only does Montel have the heart, he's got insane physical attributes, and with uh, Andre Sukumtat... I mean, the guy likes to back into the fence, not throw anything. He likes to blink his eyes a lot. He likes to make facial expressions. And from time to time, he will knock guys the fuck out. I just asked Luke Sanders about that. But, man, historically speaking, when fights go to the scorecards, it doesn't favor Andre Sukumtut because his output is so low. So unless he knocks Montel out, he is going to lose this fight. I got Montel via third-round finish. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Bilal Muhammad, he's 14 and 3, and Curtis Millinder is 17 and 4. Currently, they got Bilal Muhammad minus 140. The comeback on Curtis Millinder is plus 120. Well, Shaq, I know everyone remembers when we took uh, that dog money on Zaleski to beat Millender. Goes out there, exposes that hole that we've been talking about. This guy's ground game is very suspect. Zaleski tapped him out in the first round. Zaleski is a black belt. Bilal is a brown belt, so it's a little bit different here. Also, Bilal's never finished a fight via submission. Do you think that changes here, or do you think Melender gets back on the win track? 
Yeah, you know, I, I feel like Curtis Melender definitely got exposed his last fight. We always know that his takedown uh, defense and his submission game has always been a question. Tiago Alves took him down. Griffin took him down. CR took him down. Uh, and Bilal Muhammad, I think he's got, like, what, 15 takedowns total in his UFC career. He dumped Ren Conner multiple times. He dumped Jordan Mean multiple times, took his back, got the hooks, body triangle, the whole the whole nine yards. So he's got the skills, I would say, to expose Melinda's ground game. It's just a matter of what happens on the feet and how persistent and uh, ready. I think it's pretty clear as day. I mean, take this guy down and uh, he ain't getting up. But, of course, Melinda is skilled. If, you, if the fight does settle in, he is 6'3". He's a great striker. Uh, he really didn't get a chance to fight against Eliza, but Eliza was like, look, my coaches told me he had no ground game, and uh, <laughs> that's what, that's exactly what I had to do. So I think Bilal, as long as he comes out here, uh, doesn't play around on the stand. I'm not saying that he can't stand with Curtis, but just, you know, don't give him a chance to win. And uh, he is coming off that Jeff Neal fight. He took a lot of damage in that fight. But, you know, Jeff Neal, in my opinion, is on a different level. A guy that was posting, uh, you know, on one arm in the middle of the cage. So Jeff Neal's a top 15 guy, in my opinion. So I think Bilal should be favored here. I think he gets the win. Is it by some mission i don't know maybe curtis uh is a little more keen this time but i think Bilal gets the victory regardless yeah and it wasn't just zaleski that went out there and exposed that hole in melinda's game every single guy he's fought in the ufc has taken him down tiago alves who's known for his muay thai took down curtis melinda effortlessly it's just when those fights get back up to the feet because you know every round starts on the feet these guys aren't known for taking people down. Max Griffin had a beautiful take. That it was, actually wasn't beautiful. It was actually kind of, it was kind of low level, but it took him down anyways. So his second round comes out. It's like Max, you know what you got to do? Take him, take him down. He's not going to get back up. But instead, Millinder he threw a nice knee, threw a high kick, and that discouraged Max Griffin completely from ever shooting again. And then he got picked apart for the remainder of the fight. Well, with Bilal Muhammad, he's a guy like you mentioned. Fifteen takedowns landed inside the UFC's octagon. And also, I mean, the guy went to law school. He's not a dummy. I don't think he's going to come out here and try to stand and bang with a guy like Curtis Melender for his ego. You stand and bang with Curtis Melender, you might uh, wake up looking up at the lights, and I don't think Bilal wants to do that. And also, people want to compare Jeff Neal to Melender. They're nothing alike, guys. Jeff Neal is a top 15 guy. Jeff Neal actually trains jiu-jitsu. Jeff Neal is a guy that when he got taken down with a deep entry, you saw that post, you saw that get up. So that's just credit to Jeff Neal. Whereas I think Melender is one of these guys that, you know, he, he probably thinks that rolling around uh, on the mats with guys is kind of, uh, you know what. So I think that Melender doesn't really take that aspect of his game seriously. He doesn't train it consistently. This is the UFC. You have to be well-rounded. And if you have some kind of hole in your game like he does where it's glaring, you know Bilal Muhammad's about to come out here and capitalize on it. So I, I see Bilal Muhammad either scoring three takedowns, one per round. He doesn't get back up. Or maybe uh, that Daniel Wanderlei jiu-jitsu is good enough to pass that guard, full mouth this guy, and pound him out or choke him out. So I'm going to go with Bilal Muhammad here to defeat Curtis Melender. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Boston Salmon. He's 6-1, and one, and Khalid Taha is 12-2. and two. Currently... They got Boston Salmon, minus 135. The comeback on Khalid Taha is plus 115. Well, Shaq, uh, I was actually kind of surprised that they had it, you know, somewhat near a pick -em. Now a little bit more action's coming in on Boston Salmon. Uh, what's, your, what's, your, uh, what's your opinion on this? Because they, they matched up Boston Salmon with Ronnie Yaya, with Hione Barcelos, but he had that injury. So it seems like now they're like, you know what, man, since you've been going through that, Here's Khalid Taha on a silver platter. What's your opinion? Yeah, you know, I think Khalid Taha, he's like, what, 12-2? and two? I just think he's a tough guy. I think uh, there's nothing special about him. I think he's just a, a basic guy with a, 
with a jab right hand and a low kick, man. I think uh, it's pretty simple with him. I think uh, his wrestling and his jiu-jitsu is definitely the, the the biggest issue in this game. Boston Salmon, a lot of people don't realize, man, this guy is one of the best boxers to hit the sport in years. I mean, uh, I don't know if y'all see that guy Errol Spence out there on TV these days. Boston Salmon went to decision with him in amateurs, so... I mean, he didn't get knocked out by Errol Spence, <laughs> who's undefeated. Uh, you know, I think he's fighting Sean Porter. So, yeah, uh, I think that Boston Salmon is better than Khalid Taha in every aspect of the game. I, I do think Khalid's a tough guy, but I think there's a big discrepancy in hand speed here and just, you know, just talent. To be honest, I think that the only way Taha can win this is by a magical knockout. I think Boston Salmon's just way far ahead of him in, in each aspect of the game, takedown defense, offensive takedowns uh he, you know he did get tied up a little bit against tercio in the third round but you know taha's really not that guy taha's a, a, a banger and he's not a good banger he's just a, a he's too slow for boston you know i think uh, boston's gonna slip and rip his head off to be honest uh i could see a knockout but i also could see a 30 26 decision but boston's gonna get the job done here boston salmon might literally have the best the best boxing credentials inside the ufc's octagon out of anyone on the entire roster he fought Errol Spence, like you mentioned. He boxed Ronnie Rios. He boxed Emmanuel Taylor. So, I mean, that right there. I mean, we're seeing Errol Spence on these uh, big-time main event boxing <laughs> fights. And uh, my boy Boston Salmon went to decision with him. That's all I got to say. Look, Khalid Tahis, you know, it's fun to watch. I mean, he comes out. He swings big bombs. He's kind of undersized. Can't stuff a takedown. I mean... It, it, you know, it, it was fun while it lasted, man. I think Boston Salmon's going to, like you said, slip and rip. He's got a very nice southpaw stance. Boxing is very, very crisp, especially for MMA standards. And then you talk about his takedown defense, very nice wide base. You get him up against the fence, you're not taking him, you're not taking him down. And you try to attempt a takedown in the center of the cage, you're also not getting that. And his one loss was an absolute robbery, too. You know, it's like when you go to that guy's hometown and, and the decision is written before <laughs> the fight even happens. It was one of those situations. But at least he got that first L out the way. I think he comes out here and he, and he runs through Khalid Taha. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Max Griffin. He's 14-6. and six, And Zalim Imadayev is 8-0. and oh. Currently, they got Max Griffin minus 110. And Zalim Imadayev is also minus 110. So it's a dead pick'em shack. Uh, you lean in with the UFC experience of Max Griffin. You know, a guy that's been in there with Zaleski, Millinder, all these guys. Colby, Tiago. <laughs> or are you going with uh, Zalim Imadayev, who uh, was literally fighting uh, the peanut vendor his last fight? Is you know, Imadayev's a little more of a, a case of Randy Costa in a sense where, like, he has been fighting slushy vendors and, and the pizza man in the venue, man. Um, literally. Get your cold beer! <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Miller Lite, man. So, uh, you know, he's definitely fought nobody, but Max Griffin, when I look at him, definitely more experienced, like we said, he fought Colby, Perry, Elizu, uh Tiago Alves, I mean, Curtis Melender, this guy definitely has had one of the tougher roads in the welterweight division in terms of matchups. And Griffin was a case where, you know, I've always thought he was going to, I always thought he was going to hover around that 500 area just because, you know, he's he's not the most athletic guy. He's very flat-footed. Uh, takedown defense is an issue. His get-up game is an issue. Cardio is an issue. Cardio is an issue. But his last fight was an indicator to me that, the end might be coming soon. You know, a lot of people don't realize Griffin's been fighting for a long time. Like, Griffin is a guy that, you know, had to work on the local scene. He got an ultimate fighter shot, lost that, got went back to the local Isn't scene. Isn't he a state farm agent? <laughs> yeah, he had a, like, full-time job. He quit that job, though. But, like, uh, 
you know, he's had a long road, man. And, you know, I feel like he's declining. You know, I feel like that Perry fight, which he, you know, he definitely won. But, you know, for a co-main event in the UFC, that was like a bar fight, man. I mean, uh, <laughs> Griffin definitely won, but Mike Perry, you know, like uh, like Colby Covington said, he might be fighting in Indian casinos here soon. Uh, <laughs> it's, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, I think that Griffin's a guy. He's got power in his hands, but it's very predictable. Uh, he's definitely can stun you with a shot. He, he can clinch and wrestle, but he has a, a state of energy where when he gets tired, he starts looking real off balance. Then we start seeing, you know, weathered old guys like Tiago Alves starting to have success now. Okay, was it a robbery? I mean, yeah, I scored it for Griffin, but it's the fact that that was the one spot where everyone thought that he'd excel in, and the fact that he couldn't do that just lets me know that, you know, that might be coming near. The thing is, with Imadiev, he's fought nobody, but he does have that Ev in his last name. <laughs> I know he does. I know he knows how to wrestle. Uh, I hear he's training at Extreme Tour. I know, no, I know absolutely nothing about this guy. He's fought nobody, but... I don't think it's that hard to beat a guy like Max Griffin. I think that Max Griffin's one of these guys that doesn't fight emotional. He's emotional right now, him and this Russian guy beef. So uh, anytime he gets emotional, he generally loses, except that shit can Mike Perry. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take the Russian by a split decision, man. Yeah, one thing I do know about Imadayev, and I actually heard this from Max Griffin because they have sparred together before. I heard that Imadayev is one of those dudes that – goes hard as fuck in the gym and tries to knock his training partners out like for example like you know if you're like sparring like yeah like Hector Lombard like if you're sparring someone you know throw out a feeler kick here and there you know what's this guy working with I hear in Madaya first strike he throws a spinning back elbow you know what I mean like the guy's trying to knock people unconscious inside the gym so I hope he keeps that same energy as Israel would say uh, here against Max Griffin. Uh, listen, man, I'm going to side with the experience of Max Griffin here, you know, because he's coming off fights with Zaleski, Melender, all these guys. But is it going to surprise me if an undefeated Russian wins another fight? I mean, listen, historically speaking, you can't judge fights based on where someone's from, but historically speaking, Russians win fights <laughs> inside the octagon. So it's not going to surprise me one frauds, bit. Huh? You know what I mean? There's a fraud here and there, but usually when Russians get cut, it's like. Rashid, we know you're really good, but you kind of put everyone to sleep. So we think we think PFL is a better opportunity for you. You know, it's one of those situations. So we'll see what happens. I'll go with Griffin by split. But again, is it going to surprise me if Imadayev wins? Not at all. Next up in the flyweight division, we got Wilson Hayes. He's 23 and nine, and Alexandre Pantoja is 20 and three. Currently, they got. Alexandre Pantoja, minus 150. The comeback on Wilson Hayes is plus 130. Shaq, two black belts in the flyweight division are about to go to war. I feel like there's going to be a lot of scrambles. My question is, is the stand-up and youth advantage of Alexandre Pantoja going to be the difference here? Yeah, man, this is a good fight. Uh, Wilson Hayes, I think he averages north of five takedowns a fight. That means he will take Pantoja down at some point, most likely. And Pantoja, this is, you know, basically a redo of all his losses, you know. Pantoja pretty much loses in a similar fashion every time by getting held down and controlled after taking a guy's back for three minutes and then you give up a turn in and then you lose that round and then uh lose a split cry split decision <laughs> so uh this is basically a redo of all his losses you know uh Dustin Ortiz was the last guy successful at that strategy Wilson Hayes snapped a three-fight losing streak with that win over uh Ben 10 who 
you know, I think I picked Wilson to win that fight. Uh, well, I thought it was a fraud for at least his last two fights. He lost a smoker, for Christ's sake. But, uh, <laughs> Inside of this one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Wilson's a guy that, you know, we know what he's coming with. He's coming with the control. And it's actually a little harder to reverse a guy like Wilson because he's such a good black belt, man. So I think that, I will say Wilson Hayes is a live dog. But I, I see, a, you know, a consistent hole in Wilson's game is when, when they stand up from all that scrambling, he gives back up the lead because he gets hit with these big shots and he is a little chinny you know i wouldn't say he's chinny to the point where he's you know getting dropped with every punch obviously not but like he definitely wobbles and that's why he lost the fight with Moraga. it was just the fact that every time Moraga hit him he'd do a chicken dance so it's like uh, so you know i think pantoja's stand-up has gotten better since he's been training at att i feel like his cardio's gotten a little better since training at att but i, I do feel like wilson's alive on it on but i do think pantoja's gonna capitalize when he does get up on the feet i think uh He's going to have Wilson leaking blood, you know, a little bit. You know, the, they don't call him the cannibal for no reason. And I think Pantoja gets a, a, a close decision win in an, an exciting fight. You know, uh, TJ Dillashaw got suspended for two years. I mean, the little EPO head got caught, and that's it, you know? <laughs> you know when TJ Dillashaw <laughs> returns to the octagon, he's going to be 36 years old? <laughs> <laughs> he will be knocked out again. And he will be knocked stiff. As far as Alexandre and uh, Wilson Hayes, man, it's going to be a hell of a fight. I kind of thought the minus two something for Alexandre was a little bit exaggerated. I think this is going to be a really close fight with a lot of exciting scrambles. Both guys are black belts. We saw a somewhat, you know, I want to say a weakness. It's not really a weakness, but we saw one area that you can capitalize on a guy like Pantoja, like Dustin Ortiz did, take this guy's back. You're not going to choke him out. It's fucking Pantoja, but you might be able to take his back and kill some time off that clock, and that's what Wilson Hayes is looking to do. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and ignore uh, that time that Sasaki took Wilson Hayes' back. So that the only reason I'm bringing that up is because I think there's going to be back-and-forth scramble fest. I think it's going to be super exciting. I think the difference, though, is that when this fight is on the feet, I think Alexandre Pantoja is going to land the more da uh, damaging shots. I think he might wobble Wilson a time or two. And I see uh, Alexandre Pantoja winning a majority decision here. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Jalen Turner. He's 8-4. and four. And Matt Steamrolla Frivola is 6-1-1. One, one. Currently, they got Jalen Turner, minus 125. The comeback on Matt Frivola is plus 105. So, uh, speaking of beating slushy vendors, you know my boy Jalen Turner beat a guy out the stands his last fight, right? Yeah, Callum Potter, that's that's bottom of the barrel right there. <laughs> no offense to uh, Jalen. I mean, he's treated him accordingly. He ran through him. And we know Jalen can do that. All his wins are by first-round finish, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, all his losses are by vicious head-off-the-canvas knockout. So, you know, uh, I feel like we know how this fight's pretty much going to go, especially considering his opponent, Steamroller for Vola here, who uh, does not mind standing and banging at all, you know. So I think this could possibly – this is why they're headlining the prelims. This fight could definitely be a fight of the night. You know, I feel like Frivola made improvements from the Polo to the Lando fight just in how he approached it. I mean, he thought he – He's undefeated. His nickname's a steamroller. He thinks he's going to steamroll uh, Polo Reyes. And he had to take a nap. And Jalen Turner, unfortunately, he took a fight at welterweight against uh, a guy who was about to knock Neil Magny out. And I don't know who told him to Listen, do that. I didn't tell Jalen Turner <laughs> to accept the fight with Luke. I don't know who told him to do that. But uh, he paid the consequences. You know, I'm, I mean, I think Turner had a nice win. So, you know, I'm, I still think those issues are, are prevalent that he had, the, the major chin issues. I wouldn't say Frivola has chin issues. He just has uh, a getting hit too much issue. He's too wild. <laughs> he's too wild, and he's willing to bang too much, man. So, you know, uh, I'm going to go with the underdog. Uh, you know, I think that Jalen Turner is probably going to be teeing off on him, but I think uh, Jalen Turner doesn't know how to mix the pace. He just always has to march, 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 march down. And uh, he drops his hands, and I think Frivola is just going to, you know, be losing until Jalen's knocked out unconscious. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, is it going to surprise me at all if Jalen Turner, the more athletic guy, you know, the faster guy, the longer guy, this and that goes out there and knocks a guy like Matt Frivola out? No, it's not. But the reality here is that Jalen Turner looks scarier than he actually is. Let's just leave it at that. I mean, the guy got knocked stiff in 2016 by, by like low-level guys. Knocked stiff in 2017. Knocked dead in 2018. Well, now it's 2019. It's time for another one. And I think that with Matt Frivola... Listen, that fight with Polo Reyes was not a chin issue. That was a, a that was a why are you brawling like with your chin up in the air, <laughs> swinging big bombs against one of the hardest hitters in the division issue. That was something that can easily be corrected in the gym. You see his next fight, he comes out with a more, I mean, he was still wild at times, but it, it was a lot better approach than it was against Polo Reyes. And a lot of people have this question of, well, how's Matt Frivola's chin? I think his chin is pretty fucking solid. What's my evidence? What's my proof? Well, how about you you hit this guy with a clean shin to the chin and see if he stays conscious? And that's exactly what he did. When Lando Venata head kicked this guy, he was still there. So that's all the proof I need that Matt Frivola has a really good chin. And Jalen Turner, we know for a fact that he doesn't, man. He's just got that phys- those physical tools. That's all he's got here. And be- because he beat you know a guy out the stands his last fight, now he's a favorite here. So... Even when you go back to that Max Mustaki fight, and everyone that knows about Max Mustaki, that's the guy on the regional scene you're supposed to style on to get to the UFC. You remember when Brandon Davis did it. You remember uh, when Jalen Turner did. But even in that Jalen Turner fight, he's eating so many unnecessary shots. And that stuff is going to add up, man. And then you fast forward to the Vicente Luque fight. And Luke yeah, him to take it. listen, I know it's Vicente. I know it's a top 15 guy on planet Earth, all that, of course. I know that would happen to Frivola, too. It's just the damage that occurred. That, I mean, I'm not a scientist, but every time you get KO'd stiff, it becomes that much easier to get shut off again. So do not be surprised when Frivola KOs Jalen Turner. And I think as long as Frivola doesn't go down, I think he actually comes out here and knocks out Jalen Turner. So I will go with the underdog as well. Main card time in the light heavyweight division. We got a rematch between Ovin's St. Preux. He's 23 and 12 and Nikita Krylov is 25 and 6. Currently, they got this fight. Somewhat of a pick with the lean on Nikita Krylov. They got Krylov minus 115. The comeback on OSP is minus 105. Well, Shaq, since the last time these two fought, OSP has gone 8 and 7, and Krylov has gone 9 and 2. So on paper, it looks like they're in different spots of their careers. But that being said, it looks like Krylov hasn't really patched up the one big hole of his game, which was exposed when he fought OSP so long ago. So now the question is, has OSB slowed down enough for Nikita to come out here and knock him out? Or do you think Ovince can come out here with the right game plan, take him down, choke him out again? Well, this fight's probably one of the closer fights on the card, in my opinion. You know, I feel like OSP is on the decline big time. Uh, I mean, it's, he's fighting with his hands down. He's using this orthodox stance. I mean, it's looking real ugly these days. But one thing about him, it's still, his takedown defense has gotten a little better. I will acknowledge that. It's definitely hard to take him down. Uh, you might get him down, but he, he will pop up, man. Uh, I will say his wrestling defense has gotten better. You know, Nikita is uh, one of these guys where, man, you know, a couple years ago, he was probably the top prospect at 205. Uh, then he ran into Misha Serkinov. Then he goes on the local scene, fights three guys. I think Fabio, maybe. Did he fight Fabio? Fabio, Emmanuel Newton. And Emmanuel Newton. Uh, you know, A couple other ones. You know, uh, guys just not, you know, that aren't in the top 80, you know. So, you know, he comes back in against Blackovich. It looks like more of the same. And the reason I bring up the Serkinov fight is it just looked like he uh, kicked himself into, t- into fatigue and uh, took one left hand, went down, and got choked out. And then the Blakovich fight, he comes out, gets a... Nice takedown, and then Blakovich reversed it, and 
he didn't get back up for that round, and then they came out for the second one takedown, and that was it. But OSP, man, he, I will side with it. Nikita just slightly, but very slightly, just because he's the younger, fresher guy, and OSP fights with his hands down. And But Nikita, I definitely have my questions about him, man. You know, I, you know, I don't think he's a top 15. I think he's number 15. I don't think he's a top 15 guy at all. Um, but fortunately for him, he's, he's fighting a guy that is on his way out, but OSP's been fighting a lot of guys a lot better than Nikita, man, uh, Dominique Reyes, who I think stopped five, uh, and, uh, he got dropped by Tyson Pedro, but, hey, he submitted Tyson Pedro, but, uh, this fight's real close, man, I feel like it's 50-50. Yeah, as the line somewhat indicates, even though there's a slight lean on Kurloff here, look, I feel like if you got good dog money on either side, that's the way to go, but now that it's a pick em, I mean, that's exactly where the line should have been to begin with, and as far as how these two match up, Ovin St. Pru, back when... He was in his in his element. He's known for being an opportunistic finisher. You know, he'll be getting his ass beat for a while, and then he'll pull off a, a funky sub out his ass. Like, you remember that shit he hit on Ryan Gima? All the times he goes out there and gets those Von Flew chokes, and you get some knockouts too, man. Ovin St. Pru is really fun to watch. It's just that he's definitely slowing down. He fights with his hands down. His reactions aren't the same. His speed, his athleticism, I mean, his athleticism is still there, but his speed ain't, his, ain't the same as it used to, his explosiveness. And, man, when you're getting dropped with head kicks by guys like Tyson Pedro, who, you know, I, I've been, you, got, you, you guys have been, I thought it was a high kick, bro. Let's pull this shit up right now. You want to you wanna bet it was a high kick? Let's see what the fuck really happened. Pizza bitch, you know, straight, right? Oh, let's pizza better right now. And shook. Alright, Pedro St. Pru. Oh, fuck you, right. Alright, oh, shack of pizza. Didn't he land a clean high kick on this motherfucker, though? Oh, that right there. Okay. Oh, Okay, so the straight right after the high kick is what dropped him. So Shaq is 100% correct here. I owe Shaq a pizza. But anyways, as far as his matchup is concerned, man... I really feel like Ovens might take him down that first round. And something that I noticed in the Blakovich fight when he got taken down was, oh man, he was still going for that guillotine without controlling the body. The Von Fluchoke is right there, but he was able to survive that first round, get to the next one. I feel like if he survives that first round with Ovens and gets to the next, I don't think Ovens' takedowns are going to be as... Uh, as readily available as they would be in the first round. I think from there, Nikita can start to pile on the strikes, mix in a high kick, and get Ovince out of there. Because Ovince, the fact is, he's been dropped his last three fights in a row. Alir Latifi, Tyson Pedro, and most recently, Dominic Reyes. And between you and me, Dominic Reyes knocked him out. So I'm going to go with Nikita Krilov. But at pick odds, I'd pass. But if you get good dog odds on either side, I'd consider uh, taking a look. Now next up in the welterweight division, we got Alan Juban. He's 16-6. and six. And Dwight Grant is nine and two. Currently, they got Alan Juban minus one twenty. The comeback on Dwight Grant's plus one hundred. I'm hearing a lot of people saying that Dwight Grant is KO or bust in that spot. So what that means is that they're automatically saying if this hits the scorecards, uh, Juban's going to win. Do you agree with that assessment? Uh, not really, man. You know, I think Juban had a had a great run. I think he's definitely on the decline. I think. I mean. Even in his prime, he was always chinny. A uh, guy that gets dropped every From fight. From his UFC I'm debut. About Seth Blazinski, Orly, uh, Tumenov, Kale, which was vicious. Uh, the Perry fight, he did a chicken dance. Uh, Gunny. Gunny, Bilal Muhammad. I mean, this guy is known for wobbling all over the place. I mean, he's definitely known for a high offensive output and, you know, the power in his left kick, and uh, he definitely throws down. One thing about Juban is he's he's definitely coming to fight every single time. Uh, his last fight with Ben Saunders, though, it was another small indicator, which was God knows how long ago. Uh, that was the night Kelleher beat Burrell, so... Uh, 
that was when Josh Josh Emmett done uh you know, got knocked out stiff, then came back and got a knockout, you know. And, uh, Josh Emmett, <laughs> like, was looking at a career-ending injury and then came back, back and won and be, and be since the last time you bad as fuck. But yeah, so now he's finally making his uh, comeback. Um, and I think Juban's super chinny, the Nico Price. What about the Nico Price fight? Uh, I definitely think he probably throws more than Dwight Grant, but you have to understand the type of fighter that Dwight Grant is. He likes to sit back and he likes to counter with devastating punches. He's one of those really awkward, lanky, long guys, and he's definitely older in age. He kind of reminds me, not in the terms of getting dropped every fight, but kind of reminds me in the position Juban was when he first started out, you know, kind of started the sport a little late. And uh, now he's fighting uh, like a role reversal in a sense. But I like I like Grant in this fight, man. I think that the Otto fight was complete horseshit. I think Grant got robbed. I think uh, Otto's really lucky he's from Milwaukee. Uh, for Shaq, for Shaq to say a fight's a robbery, <laughs> you guys never hear him say that. I think he got fucking robbed. I mean, I I mean whether or not it was the best fight or not. I felt like Dwight Grant deserved to have his hand raised in that fight. And, you know, Otto didn't exchange any punches. Juban's not that type of guy. Juban's going to get in there and see. And I truly believe that if Grant hits him on the chin, he will wobble just like he does in every single other fight against guys like Ben Saunders, you know, where uh, it took him a little longer than expected to get him out of there. I mean, I bet the under two and a half in that fight, I was like, Alan, can we please? He's like hobbling on one leg, bro. Like, can we get him, <laughs> can we get him out of here? <laughs> but now with this layoff, the fact that he's never been, uh, he hasn't been hitting on the chin. He hasn't been hit on the chin in a while. He is a slow starter, notoriously. You know, this ain't Mike Perry no more. You know, uh, now I put no stock into the win. Perry's a walking punching bag. You know that you just have to avoid the one shot. Also, Perry has nowhere near the athleticism <laughs> exactly. of Grant. He also doesn't have a seventy-eight inch reach like exactly. Grant. I will acknowledge that was a good win. Perry was, you know, undefeated at the time, had a lot of hype. But I think Juban's on the decline, and I feel like there's a very good chance Dwight gets him out of here early. You know, early in the fight. You know, we saw the Carlo Pettis Sali fight, Carlo, you know, kind of had to approach a high pace. I'm going to get in Grant's face. He's backing up. His back's on the fence. And uh, what happened there? You know, his mouthpiece was flying halfway across the cage. So, you know, I think uh, there's a good chance that happens. Yeah, Juban might be a little ahead on points, but there's a common thing that happens in Juban's fights. He gets wobbled. And you do that with a specialist at KOing guys like Dwight Grant, who's only didn't KO his guy one time in that sack auto, who... I've been on the record. There's, look, there's a saying in Milwaukee. I don't know if you said it on the air. And, you know, yeah, <laughs> just Zach ain't the tough. He's not going to exchange punches, and Zach lost that fight. So I got Dwight Green here by first-round KO. Yeah, exactly. You know, what's interesting about a guy like Juban, a lot of people like to criticize him for being a male model, and I've always found that really weird that people give him shit for that because it's not like Shaman's Alan Juban. It's not like, who? Shaman. Yeah, if Shaman's a model. Shaman fights like a man, but it's not like Juban goes out there and fights like a you-know-what. You know, if, if we're talking about Elias with Elias's fighting style, that's when you can make fun of a guy for being a model because you look at how Elias fights and it's the most boring thing you've ever seen, right? He punches the air for a living, but... Alan Juban fights like a fucking man. Alan Juban bites down on that mouthpiece. It's either you're going out or he's going out. I got so much respect for a guy like Alan Juban. So it's always kind of bothered me when people made fun of him for being a model. It's like, what, are you jealous of him or something? Because the dude comes to fight. So the dude's a fucking badass in my book. But as far as this matchup is concerned, like you said, Dwight Grant is a specialist. He loves to counter-strike. He loves to knock people out. And when he hits guys, they don't just uh, they don't just get hurt. They go out stiff. They get launched. And with a guy like Zach Otto, you know, because I 
I know on the record, oh, he lost to Zach Otto. Looks terrible. Zach Otto didn't fight him. Zach Otto paid off the judges that were in Milwaukee, ran away the entire fight. I mean, what did you expect to happen? I mean, I personally scored at 30-27 Grant. If that was anywhere else in the world, that's what that's what the score would have been. But, you know, when you're in the guy's hometown and, I mean, it was his UFC debut. Look, no excuses. He should have got that win. But Zach Otto and Alan Juban fight nothing alike. Zach Otto didn't fight. Juban is going to fight. Juban is as tough as they come. And people like to reference this Perry fight that happened like three years ago, but they conveniently ignore when Juban was doing that chicken dance in that first round against Perry. And just Perry, like, I like, I, I enjoy watching him fight. He's fun, but Perry ain't the most skilled. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. When you're talking about a guy like Grant, I do not think he should be compared to Perry at all. He's got a 78-inch reach. Way more athletic, training with world-class guys like DC every single day. And let me let me bring this up. Grant's already had a similar look to Juban because Luke Rockhold was his main sparring partner for about five years. So Luke Rockhold's got the southpaw look. He's got the hard body kick. He's chinny. Not, not the best boxing, but really hard kicks. That's exactly what Juban brings to the table. So... I disagree with people saying it's KO or bust. I think that if it goes to the scorecards, I think Grant's going to win because he would have knocked down Juban a couple times, wobbled him, this and that. He's going to eat some hard kicks. Juban kicks like a truck. But at the end of the day, I do see Dwight Grant getting his arm raised, and I will go via second-round knockout. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Eric, your boy, Anders. He's 11-3, and and Khalil Roundtree Jr. is 7-3. and Currently, they got Eric Anders, minus 175, the comeback on Khalil Roundtree is plus 155. Well, the good news for a guy like Khalil is he doesn't have to fight McCall or Johnny Walker anymore. Now now he's fighting Eric Anders. I mean, Eric is experienced. I mean, he's fought Maheda, he's fought Machida, he's fought all these guys, but you know, this ain't this ain't Johnny Walker who's on that title trajectory. This ain't McCall who's one of the most underrated guys. Now this is a I don't want to say an even matchup, but this is the most winnable fight that he's had since Saki. What's your opinion on this matchup? Yeah, I agree, you know. I feel like McCall and Johnny Walker are, you know, definitely different levels. Eric's coming up from 85. He was definitely probably cutting too much uh, to make 85. I mean, I, I've heard him say he got up to 240 at one point. So 205 is definitely where he needs to be. You know, I just don't know if that's going to change everything because, you know, watching Eric Anders is kind of underwhelming, man. You know, I think, uh, like I said before, he fought Elias. He's not that athlete, you know, that people thought he was going into that fight or maybe even going into this fight you know i feel like his boxing is very rigid he's definitely got power in his hands of course he's a football player he can wrestle he took my head back in the third round and we know what khalil's issue is uh you know but i feel like progressively khalil has been a little harder to expose in that uh in that area you know it definitely still gets taken down but mccall and these guys are just i consider them different calibers of fighters you know the thing with khalil is you know, uh, this is, like you said, one of his more winnable fights. I'll tell you right now, there's a big speed disadvantage uh, between the two. Eric is real stiff and slow, and he gets hit a lot against really low-level guys, in my opinion, at 85s. But they're at 85s. I don't know how he's going to perform. We have seen him fight at 205, but it was... Uh, you got the call Monday fight week. Yeah, but he did fight recently before that, man. So, like, I guess, you know, he probably does balloon up right afterwards. But, uh you know, I just don't think he, I think he's probably definitely the better long-term fighter, but I do see a chance where Khalil can starch him out in space. Uh, it's going to be a tough fight, man. You know, I feel like the line could definitely be closer because Khalil's not fighting Johnny Walker, who's between you and me, who will fight for the title one day. And McCall Lord Olechechek is arguably the top prospect at 205. Uh, unless the weight issues, you know, change Eric, make him a little 
quicker, who knows, man. But I'll take Khalil in an upset by knockout in the first round. You know, I think, uh, you know, he's got way better stand-up than Eric. And I think, uh, of course, if Eric gets this to the late rounds, he could utilize his clinch against that fence. But I really don't think he's got the, the wrestling and jiu-jitsu to necessarily hold him down. I actually think Khalil could probably escape it. He's been getting better. So even though he's been taking some L's, he's been getting a little better in certain aspects. So I'll take Khalil for upset. One thing I got to agree with you about is actually the improvements Khalil has been making because I know everyone listening to the show, you know, you've heard me criticize Khalil in the past, so you were expecting a whole funny speech here, but I'm I'm a straight shooter, man. I'm as honest as they come, and uh, I'm not going to sit here and lie and act like Khalil hasn't been making improvements because he absolutely has. And here's my proof. Here's my evidence. You watch his fight against Andrew Sanchez, and, you know, he can't even get up. He's telling his mom to shut up. I mean, it was embarrassing, man, against Andrew Sanchez. His fight against Tyson Pedro, you know, he can't even keep the wizard. He can't even keep the overhook. The overhook. He's trying to, you know, go for a headlocky. You know, as soon as it hit the mat, it was over shortly after in both those fights. But since that point, the reason I know he's been putting in work is because when McCall, Oleg Zaychuk took him down. Well, all of a sudden, Khalil backs himself into the fence, gets back up every time. I'm like, oh, shit, Khalil's been putting in work. He's got a nice overhook. I was like, okay. Still makes mistakes, but he's getting, he knows. Compared to how he was? Compared to how he was, Compared to how he was. I mean, McCall McCall would have submitted him. McCall would have finished him in the first round a couple of years ago. So the fact that he went all three with him, got back up from the takedowns, I was like, all right, this guy's been putting in work. I got to respect that. So... What I'm trying to say here is that if Eric does indeed take him down, because I'm sure that's what the game plan is, I'm not convinced that the fight will be over shortly after. That's what I'm trying to say. I actually think there's a chance that Khalil can survive and potentially get back up because he has clearly been working on that part of his game as evidence in the McCall fight. That being said, on the feet, like Shaq already alluded to, there is a massive speed difference between these two. And I know that Eric's been in there with a guy like Tiago Maheda. But what you got to understand about Maheda is that for whatever reason, Maheda fights to the right he now. fights the level of his competition. I didn't tell Maheda to get finished in the first round by Eric Spicely. I didn't tell Maheda to fight Dave Branch with his hands down and get knocked out by that guy. So Maheda's kind of hard to read. You know, Eric did take him down. Like, do we view that as, oh, Eric has this great grappling game? Or do we view it like Maheda is the most, the most hot and cold fighter <laughs> we've ever seen at 185 pounds? I mean, Spicely did that too. So... I'm not sure what to think about it yet. I actually need to, I need to watch this fight and see what happens. And I'm sure the game plan is to take Khalil down. His, since 90% of fights do hit the mat, I will I will go with Eric to edge this one out. But I don't think this is the mismatch that people think it is. And if it is, awesome. Because you know Eric's my boy. I'm rooting for him. But I'm breaking this fight down objectively, unbiased. And I'm going to go with Eric by split decision. I think it's going to be a very close fight. I think it's going to be a sweater. Co-main event of the evening. Kelvin Gastelum, he's 16 and 3, and Israel, the last style bender, Adesanya, is 16 and 0. Currently, they got Israel Adesanya minus 175. The comeback on Kelvin Gastelum is plus 155. Well, shit, man. I mean, both these guys are fighting for a UFC world title. It says interim, but it's a world title, man. I mean, these guys are two badasses. Uh, you think the nine inch reach advantage of Israel Adesanya is going to be the difference, or are you siding with the experience of Kelvin Gastelum? Yeah, it's a big question. What Israel's done in this one year in the U in the UFC is remarkable, man. To make it from fighting Rob Wilkinson to Fatori to Tavares to Brunson and now uh, Anderson Silva. And we were watching Israel's fights. Although they're great performances, he's definitely blowing these guys out the water for the most part. Um, you know, there's been a little underlying things going on in those fights. You know, it feels like a lot of those fights are 
you know, what we would call a show, you know, uh, but now this is a title fight, and, you know, title fights have a little different vibe to them, it's a lot more on the line, a lot more money, uh, he's know, not fighting a guy that's broken <laughs> before the fight starts. The, all the media obligations, you know. So, I mean, he's definitely been main event before, but this is definitely going to be a different level. So, you know, I don't want to discredit those performances, but I know you're going to get into real details about them. But, you know, Marvin Vittori is a nice kid, but, like, Marvin sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Omari beat his ass. Um, you know, and then his fight with Brad Tavares, I mean, I picked him to win that fight. Whether Brad Tavares was allegedly injured or not. Oh, he was injured as fuck, <laughs> you know, and you know that. I think he was uh, going to lose that fight. But uh, Brad Tavares, the issue in that fight is Brad Tavares was going to pull out of that fight. You remember there was reports of Maheda stepping in, Maheda weighed in. You know, he was the backup fighter. Uh, Brad, I mean, look, if you would have seen the, the the new contract that Brad Tavares got before that fight, you would understand why he took that fight. Look, when you're getting, when you're getting uh, big swings like that in money... <laughs> You show up sometimes, and uh, Brad Tavares took that, and he fought with a broken foot, and it, it looked like that. I've never seen Brad that weathered and old. Israel definitely looked good, definitely picked him apart. We left that fight saying, man, Israel's grappling's insane, but, like, you could just see that fight. Like, Brad Tavares is walking gingerly on that foot the entire time. It was broken, so, and that's why he hasn't fought since. <laughs> no, I feel like, and then, you know, the Brunson fight. Look, if you haven't figured out how to beat Derek Brunson by now, like, <laughs> no offense, great performance, knocked him out. We bet on him in that fight, and then his fight with Anderson Silva, which uh, Anderson won around in that fight, man. Uh, you know, he showed the weakness that Israel has, which is, you know, if you close the distance on him, you get him pushed back, you know, he will back up with that chin in the air. He does have tall, tall man defense. The thing is, he's so tall that he gets away with it a lot of times, and Kelvin's very short. So I see the, the whole angle, like, Kelvin won't be able to touch him. I see that angle, but you have to understand how many. What's uh Kelvin's drop rate at one hundred eighty-five pounds? Hundred <laughs> percent. He's dropped everyone that he's fought. This guy Kelvin is the most unassuming middleweight on the roster. This guy looks small. He looks a little fat. He looks a little short. But uh, when he when he touches you, he's so accurate with the with that left hand and just his approach. How he's always bouncing up and down, always alert. His fight with Jacare in Brazil that was an incredible performance, man. Because Jacare is one of these guys where. He can sweep you uh, from pulling guard, and if he gets on top of you, he might tap you out, and he has power in his hands like we saw his last fight, and, you know, he kind of had to fight with the style with really low hands, and, uh, you know, Jacare definitely caught him with some punches, but I wouldn't over-exaggerate it because we know that Jacare, you have to sprawl at least, you know, two to three times a minute with Jacare, so Israel Adesanya, man, this is going to be, I don't want to say this is his first real fight, but... This is his first real fight. <laughs> this is not a show anymore. This is going to be a different type of vibe. And, you know, there's a chance where the UFC's been wearing this guy out, man. He's only been in the company for a year, and he's fighting for a title. Not saying that he didn't earn it. He definitely earned a shot 100%. But with all the media obligations, these back-to-back-to-back camps... You've been saying you wanted a break for a while now. How long has he been saying he wanted a break? The flight you know? from New Zealand to exactly. the States over and He's over. Minus 175, undefeated guy in a title shot. First L, all I'm going to say is first L is right around the corner for him. I don't know if it's going to be this fight, but it's coming up here very shortly. And, you know, that's just how the sport works. And then, uh, you know, Kelvin Gastelum has definitely paid his dues, fought the way tougher competition. I mean, you know, I know you're going to get into details about that. So, you know... I don't want to say I've seen this story many times before, but, you know, I feel like Kelvin Gastelum has the ability to land shots and stun guys. And I feel like Israel, although he's been styling on these guys, 
none of them were a real threat to him. Like, uh, quickly in all those fights, you knew about a minute or two in, okay, this guy has no chance. You know, he's never been in that true dogfight. You know, people will say, what about the Anderson Silva fight? That was oh close. God. Anderson Silva and them were just out there. Anderson's trading 46. Spins. <laughs> they were trading spins for a show. Anderson, they looked each other in the eye, and Anderson pretty much told him, bro, I'm going to let you win. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you're going to win the decision. Well, let's just put on a good show, you know? I just feel like that this title vibe is going to be something really new to Israel, man. So uh, I'm going to take the underdog here. Kelvin Gastelum to get his... Uh, his shot against Rob that he was supposed to get in Australia, uh, in Australia I think this is going to be first lost time for Israel. I think he could possibly go on to be a champion later down the line. I just think this is bad timing just due to the fact that they're wearing this kid out. He's been saying he wants a break, although I feel, of course, I know he's got the skills to beat Kelvin, but I just feel like Kelvin Gastelum is one of these guys, and underdog money <laughs> against anyone at 185, I mean... She's got a good chance, man. Uh, like I said, 100% drop rate at 185 pounds. And I think he's got five rounds to touch Israel's chin. You know, Israel, he's never been. We saw at times in spurts where Anderson closed the distance on him with that fence. And Anderson was landing punches in that round that he won. So I got Kelvin. I think he can implicate a game plan like that. Kelvin's got an iron chin. I feel like Israel's, you know, so, he has a solid point fighting base that, you know, he's going to have to keep it together for five rounds because Kelvin can eat shots all day. So I'm going to go with Kelvin in the upset. I think that Israel Adesanya is a future UFC world champion, but I think that it might be first L time this weekend. And the reason why is that the guy still hasn't fought that contender type fight to get to the title shot. He hasn't really been in there with the real top five guys. There's a there's a huge difference between fighting a top fifteen guy and fighting a top five guy. You know, it's cool to beat Brad Tavares and Derek Brunson, all these guys. Like, come on, like. I, those I, guys will never touch a title shot. Those guys will never touch a top five ranking in their lives. Like, this is a completely different level. And people like to criticize, oh, oh, Kelvin ate all these shots against Jacare. Let, let's talk about that for a second. What's the one thing you need to look out for when you're fighting Jacare? It's like, do not let this motherfucker get on top of me at all. And then it's like, oh, shit, he throws bombs too? Like, <laughs> like of course of course, he fucking ate a bunch of shots against Jacare. Like, what do you think would happen? You know, Jacare, between you and me, would pull guard against Israel, sweep him, and submit him in the first round. So I don't really – I mean, unless Israel could survive and get him into that gas Brazilian state. But I would pick Jacare by first round sub in that fight. I have a lot of respect for Israel Adesanya, but I think you have to pay your dues in this game. And Brad Tavares, I mean, he fought the most injured Brad Tavares we've ever seen. This is how injured he was. This isn't a joke. So T- <laughs> you can go to the internet or you can just listen to me right now. Look, Tiago Maheda Santos weighed in on weigh-in day as a backup for Brad Tavares because Brad had a broken foot. The thing is, Brad got a new contract. And if you saw how much he was making, me and Shaq know how much he got for that fight. If you saw how much he was making, you'll understand why he took that fight. So, of course, Israel style on him. And then Derek Brunson, the guy was broken before the fight even started. Anderson Silva, my all-time favorite fighter. But the reality here is that Anderson Silva's won five and one in his last seven fights. Anderson Silva's nowhere near title contention. So that's kind of like, you know, a boxer nowadays saying, I beat Roy Roy Jones Jr. It's like, well, you beat him now. Did you really beat Roy Jones, though, back when he was Roy Jones? So, yeah, he beat Anderson Silva in 2019. He didn't beat him back when Anderson was Anderson. And I'm not discrediting it at all. Amazing win for the resume, but that's just the reality here. Israel has never fought a top five guy. This is the first time. This is his first real test inside the UFC's octagon. Now, obviously, he has seven-inch height advantage, nine-inch reach advantage, 
And there's going to be times when he's tagging Kelvin in this fight. He's going to be picking him apart at times. No doubt, Kelvin does get hit. Kelvin also has an iron jaw. Israel does not have an iron jaw. Israel was KO'd stiff two years ago by Pereira. Different sport, but same weapon that Kelvin Gastelum brings to the table. Big left hand. And the weakness I've noticed with, with Israel, because everyone's asking, well, how is Kelvin going to close that distance? This is how, my friends. First of all, with, when you're fighting a tall guy, you have to faint over and over and over again, not let him know when you're gonna when you're gonna move in. And then when you do move in, it seems like Israel, whenever he backs up against the fence, that's when his chin goes up in the air and his hands drop. Anderson was able to kind of show glimpses of it in that second round. Well, I think Kelvin will actually be able to show that uh will actually be able to capitalize on that weakness. And if he doesn't knock him out, I think there's gonna be a situation where they get into a grappling exchange. And I don't know if you guys remember round four when Brad Tavares took his back, but you know, Brad Tavares had a broken foot, so the guy was moving so gingerly he couldn't even get his hooks in. I'll tell you right now, if Kelvin's in that exact same position, he is getting his hooks in, and he's gonna choke Israel out. I'm gonna go with Kelvin Gastelum to become the new interim champion via rear naked choke. Main event of the evening. We got Max Holloway, he's 20 and 3, and Dustin Poirier is 24 and 5. And this is for the UFC interim lightweight championship. Max Holloway is minus 220. The comeback on Dustin Poirier is plus 180. Like I alluded to in uh, the beginning of the show, you got Max Holloway, who has the most significant strikes landed in featherweight history, versus Dustin, who has the most significant strikes landed in lightweight history. Now they're meeting at lightweight, a belt's on the line. Will Dustin complete the paid in full, or is Max Holloway about to become a champ champ? Yeah, man, this is a great fight. Arguably one of the better fights on paper I've seen in a long time. These guys fought seven years ago when Dustin was 23, Max was 20. And uh, seven years later, they meet again, and let's see if Max can get revenge. You know, as far as the betting line goes, you got Holloway at minus 220. They're saying he's a heavy favorite for the most part. And, you know, I feel like it's kind of based off his last fight and that last performance where he did uh, finish Ortega in between rounds, the significant strike record, you know, the you know, the dancing, you know, putting on the show, and that was great and all, but Brian Ortega is nowhere near Dustin Ortega, uh, Dustin Poirier in the skill department at all. You know, Brian Ortega is a guy where that was a case of kind of, I don't want to compare him to Israel because I think Israel has more skills than Brian Ortega, but and I compare them in the undefeated sense, 14-0, and 0, you know, he's got these wins, and they're great wins, but what type of wins are they? He did kind of, was in a contender fight before that, but they were all like, a lot of comeback wins by sub after he was losing or a big, you know, uppercut against Frankie Edgar. Like, you know, these big moves, you know, now he's fighting in a title fight, you know. In hindsight, I feel like that fight was lying coast just due to all the health concerns Holloway had. People weren't sure. And Ortega was undefeated. He was getting all these, uh, you know, these subs. And, you know, he's undefeated. First L time, it was his first L time. And, you know, that generally comes in that title fight. So that was a great performance. But, you know, I just feel like Max is kind of progressively developed the style of walking guys down primarily using his boxing not much kicks and just throwing a ridiculous amount of punches until they fall against Jose Aldo who you know historically we know slows down after that first round you know his defense kind of uh deteriorates after that first round still a great fighter but I don't want to say the blueprint is out there to be Jose just because uh Connor and Max did it, but we know we've seen a, a small decline from Jose over the years, and that's great. And then the Ortega fight, those are great, but now that he's moving up to 55, the caliber fighters at 55, of 55, you got the Poyes, the Gaethys, the Khabibs of the world, and these guys got punching power, and they got that dog in them. And uh, not saying that Brian Ortega doesn't have that dog in him, it's just that he doesn't really have experiences to fall back on, you know? He's never lost before. Or boxing. <laughs> you know? Or bo- he can't box. <laughs> you know, Brian Ortega gets tagged up in every 
fight. And, uh, you know, in that fight, you know, even though Holloway was tagging up, occasionally, you know, uh, Ortega would tag him because he was just a little too reckless. And, you know, he's real confident right now. So, like, Dustin Poirier, on the other hand, is a, definitely probably a lot more traditional than Max Holloway. He's definitely a lot more uh, strong, strong than Max Holloway. I know Holloway's a big dude, but... Trust me, if they throw fists inside the pocket, uh, I see Dustin's having the more impact. Like a lot of people over the years have always questioned Dustin's po Dustin Poirier's chin, but uh, I mean Justin Gaethje, the a guy who lands like eight and over eight strikes a minute, uh, touched his chin several times, and he was completely fine. He's been fine this entire time. Look, when you fight the way these guys do, and you had a and you got a twelve put, and you've been in Zufa since you were nineteen, twenty years old. I mean, you're gonna take a couple naps, you know. Uh, Michael Johnson looked great that night. Connor looked great that night. So I don't think Dustin Poirier has a bad chin at all. I think what this fight comes down to, Dustin Poirier capitalizing on Holloway's recklessness. Holloway's real confident right now. He thinks he can beat anyone in the world. And I feel like Dustin Poirier kind of has a similar ability to Kelvin. Just this time, he actually has the four-inch reach advantage. And Holloway's a guy that likes to sit back at range and uh, pick these dudes off. The difference here is when Dustin Poirier hits guys, they feel it every single time. Dustin's one of these guys where he could hit you with one little shot and you could be cut open just like that. He does it a lot. He's just got that that weird power in his hands. He's got a bunch of knockouts. And I think that if Holloway truly thinks that he's going to march him down in the pocket and box with him, he better hope that uh, he can do it for five rounds and uh, not get wobbled. I think he will get wobbled. I'm not saying that he's chinny, but I think he's going to feel Dustin Poirier's power early, kind of get thrown off, kind of not know what to do. And then Dustin Poirier is going to put the pressure on him, close the distance, and get him out here, just like similar to how he did to uh, Gaethje and Eddie in a crazy finishing combo. This is going to be a hell of a fight. Obviously, Max Holloway moving up to lightweight. The dude's probably the best featherweight of all time, and that's no disrespect to Jose Aldo, but the reality is here. Re the reality here is that they fought twice, and Max finished him twice. So I would go ahead and say Max is the greatest featherweight of all time. Even though, you know, Connor beat Max and Jose. And Dustin. And Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll just pretend that never happened. No, but uh, much respect to all these guys. But look, as far as his matchup with Dustin and Max is concerned, Max has extreme fearlessness. He doesn't fear anyone. He thinks he's the best fighter on planet Earth. I mean, you go to the countdown, he said he could not only beat any featherweight and lightweight, he said he could beat any welterweight, middleweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight. That's how confident Max Holloway is now. And with Dustin Poirier, you know, I feel like it's extreme disrespect to criticize his chin. What, he's 9-1 and one in his current uh, lightweight run, and the one time he did get caught against Michael Johnson, look, on Michael Johnson's best day, he beat Tony Ferguson, he beat Edson Barbosa as well, and just the, the technical aspect of it, you know when you don't set up that uppercut, sometimes you're going to take a nap. Just ask Chuck Liddell when he fought Rashad, just ask Kevin Lee when he fought Leo Santos. Same shit happened to Poirier, except this time it was a lead uppercut. Look, when you, when you don't set up that uppercut... A shot over the top is going to come and, and hit you. And that's exactly what happened. And, and Michael Johnson, obviously, they called him Blackie out for a reason because he's fast as fuck. But aside from that, Dustin's looked flawless at 55. And that fight with Gaethje, you know, because people are talking about the volume, the output, and the pace that Max brings to the table. Because I, I think a lot of people agree that, look, Poirier does have the more power here, but it's Max's output that's going to win him the fight. And... The reason I kind of disagree with that is because I'll reference you to the Justin Gaethje fight where Dustin Poirier threw over 350 strikes in that in that one. So that right there is all the proof I, I need that he can fight at a high-paced championship uh, caliber uh, pace, man. And 
I mean, that's what I need to know here against a guy like Max Holloway. We know Ortega can't box. We know Lamas. I mean, come on, man. The, I, I love Max Holloway. I'm not dis discrediting him at all. He's the greatest featherweight to ever do it. And if he goes back down to featherweight, I think he's going to run through the rest of the division as well. But lightweight is a completely different animal. We're dealing with the Habibs, the Poreas, the Gaethys. And uh, I think that if Max Holloway wants to taunt a guy like Poirier, put his hands down, you know, tell him to meet him in the middle, you know, put his finger down, do the whole bit. Dustin's not the guy to do that against. You can do that against Lamas. You can do that against Ortega. I don't think you can do that against Poirier. And I think that Max also, he's so confident that he eats a lot of unnecessary shots as evidence in third round of the Ortega fight, third round of the Lamas fight. And I think one of those shots from Poirier lands, and th this fight could be over, man. And also, if it goes to decision, I'm not convinced that Holloway is all of a sudden going to sweep because of his output. Because like I mentioned, Poirier can match that output as well. I see. I think Poirier is being, being uh, underestimated here. Look, do I love Max Holloway? Is he one of my all-time favorite fighters? Of course. So is Poirier. But when you, when you see this kind of number, you see you know a fight that I think should be a pick -em. I, I'm a gambling man first. I'm going to go with Poirier here to knock out Max Holloway and become the new interim lightweight champion. Now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, it's going down this weekend in ATL, two title fights. How's it going, man? Hey, not bad. I am looking forward to this card. It's a good one. I'm jealous that you'll be there, um, but hopefully I'll make it next time, and hopefully they'll stack the card this much again. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's get right down to business because today we're going to cover the main card only because, as you guys know, Kyle Marley's write-ups are available at bestfightpicks.com. His plays are also available at bestfightpicks.com. Let's get down to business, man, because Krilov is rematching Ovin St. Preux. You know how the first fight ended, so the question here is, you think uh, Ovin St. Preux can make it two in a row against Krilov, or do you think Krilov finally gets uh, that revenge? I do think it's a close one, but I like Krilov to get this win. Uh, and I, I like him more for a DraftKings angle because if he wins, he scores 100-plus every time. It's, it's almost, it is always a finish when he wins, and it's almost always going to be in the first round, if not, then the second round. And if that happens here, he's going to score over 100 and at $8,200, that's going to put him on the optimal lineup. So I like Krylov a good bit here, more for GPPs because it is a risky play. He did lose their first fight. Uh, but the thing about OSP is even if he wins – he almost never goes over 100 points. So just give me the ceiling here of Krylov. And if I'm making one lineup um, for a GPP, he'd probably be on it. He's going to be one of the plays I like the most in that mid-range area. And hopefully he gets that first-round finish. Yeah, I know that'll definitely electrify uh, the crowd in Atlanta. And he actually has a history, as I was talking about earlier on the show, when he fought Ed Herman in Atlanta at the exact same location, uh, second round head kick KO. So we'll see if uh, history repeats itself. But man, Alan Juban and Dwight Grant are fighting as well on the main card. And I just have a feeling that these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls. The question is, which man's going to fall? Um, I think if someone falls, it's going to be Juban. I would say Grant is the more dangerous fighter here. He's more likely to get the knockout. But I think Joe Bain is the better fighter, the more well-rounded fighter. Um, so if it goes all three rounds, my pick would be Joe Bain. Uh, this one is a tough one. Uh, it is right there in the mid-range, so I like it. Both sides are going to end up on my rosters. But I think I like Joe Bain a little bit more here. I think Grant might be more popular, especially after his 110-point win in his last fight. And Joe Ban has a weak chin, so people will target against that. Um, so at lower ownership, I like Joe Ban. But if I get the feeling later on in the week that 
Joe Ban's going to be the chalk, then I would just switch that over to Grant. It's that close for me. I think it's 50-50. Grant probably has the higher ceiling, but I think Joe Ban's a better fighter. So I'll take him to win a decision. So Kyle Marley's taking Alan Juban via decision here on the Big Marley Minute. And Kyle, Eric Anders is taking on Khalil Roundtree. Now, I see a lot of people very confident in Eric Anders getting this victory. And in my opinion, for him to do that, he has to he has to get this shit to the mat because we know historically that's been Khalil's weakness. Do you think he uh, successfully does that? Yeah, I think, I mean, he should really. I mean, especially from what we've seen from Roundtree's ground game or lack thereof. Um, that's definitely Anders best path to victory and least dangerous path. So I think that would be smart of him to do. So I do like him to get the win via takedowns and ground and pound, maybe even a finish. Um, but with that $9,000 price tag, he is going to need to score highly because like we talked about Krylov at 8,200 for 800 cheaper. If he wins, he's going to score over a hundred. So if you're going to be paying up for Anders over Krylov, you're going to need over 100 from Anders as well, and you're probably going to need him to outscore Krylov unless you can roster them both. So, I mean, it's not a play I'm going to be uh, all over, even though earlier last week I figured he would be one of the top plays just because of takedowns, but now we get to see the $9,000 price tag, and I don't like him quite as much. Uh, but he is my pick to win. I think Roundtree's decent as well because if he wins, it's probably a first-round knockout, if not maybe second round, and at his – $7,200 price tag, that's for sure going to put him on the first place lineup. So I won't be fading him, uh, but my pick here is Anders. And I'll have a, uh, some of them, but not as much as I thought. He'll probably be in less than half my lineups. So my question here is, obviously I know at the betting window, Eric Anders has been very popular, but do you also think that's going to translate here to DraftKings ownership? I can see that, yeah, especially because his best path to victory is the ground game with the takedowns and people who play DraftKings love that shit. So um, the more takedowns people can see people getting, the more popular they'll be. So I could see him being like 35% on here. Speaking of things that DraftKings players love, I- I'm sure you guys have a soft spot for Israel Adesanya and Kelvin Gastel. And I mean, both these guys, total studs. Now they're meeting for the UFC interim middleweight championship in Atlanta, Georgia. The question is who's going to walk out with that strap and that guaranteed shot versus Robert Whitaker. Uh, I think it is going to be Adesanya, and I kind of hope it's going to be Adesanya because I think that would be a more interesting fight. Uh, Him versus Whitaker would be an awesome stand-up battle, and I look forward to seeing it. But yeah, Adesanya is my pick to win here. I I don't think he finishes Kelvin, though. I think he just beats him up for four or five rounds and gets his hand raised through the judges. Um, So the issue is him at his $9,200 price tag. Uh, I think if you're making one lineup and you're going to use this fight, which I think you should because it's five rounds, Kelvin Gastelum has the better chance of being on the first place lineup because if Kelvin wins, he he's almost surely going to be on that first place lineup at his $7,000 price tag. Whereas if Adesanya wins, that's no guarantee. He could get 85 points in a decision, a decision win and that won't be enough. So um, I don't really love him here from a DraftKings angle, but I think he's better cash play than he is GPP. Cause I do think he's a, a solid win. Uh, I just am worried about his ceiling here. I think he'll have to get a finish to score highly. Um, and I think Gaslam's probably too tough for that. So give me Adesanya to win by a clear decision. So he sees this fight going all five rounds in the ATL. And, man, the main event of the evening between Dustin Poirier and Max Holloway, I mean, that's all they had to say. But the fact that we got two title fights is unbelievable. But, man, 
Max Holloway, most significant strikes landed in featherweight history. Dustin Poirier, most significant strikes landed in lightweight history. Now they meet for the lightweight interim belt. So, shit, man. I mean, who are you going with? Dude, this, oh, my God, this fight is, this is the worth the ticket alone. Uh, I can't wait for this one. Uh, this is DraftKings Gold. Both these fighters strike at such a high pace, and they're going to bring it for sure. This is almost a guaranteed fight of the night, unless it's a quick knockout, which I don't see happening. Um, but I kind of like Poirier here, especially because he's $2,000 cheaper. Um, if Poirier wins, man, he's going to score over a hundred points and at $7,100, that's a, a guarantee that he's going to be on that first place lineup. Um, Holloway, same thing. If he wins, he's going to outscore that $9,100 price tag. It's just going to be so much easier for Poirier to get on that lineup with the win. And I think this is a pretty close fight, like a close to a 50, 50 fight. So, uh, I think it's going to be everything we want it to be. And I see a split decision where we're really not crying about it either way. And I'll take the underdog to get his hand raised here. I mean, $7,100, maybe that's, that's uh, pushing me towards him a little bit more. It's, it's a lot easier to fit in other people in your lineup when you pick Poirier at $7,100. So um, he's going to be a guy that I'm on a lot, but this will be a fight that's in every single one of my lineups. I will stack it in cash and I will even stack this fight in a few GPPs because I could see 200 points coming from this fight in total. And that could win somebody $30,000. Yeah, I know a lot of people are talking about Artem Lobov versus Jason Knight, but I'm pretty damn sure uh, Saturday night and Sunday and Monday, everyone's going to be talking about Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway. I cannot wait. And that is why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. They can follow you at Big Marley 3. They can get your bets at bestfightpicks.com, your write-ups at bestfightpicks.com. And uh, I assume you're looking to keep this hot streak up. Of course, man. We're going to keep it rolling. Uh, planning on another 3-0 and premium week, just like last card. Uh, so you guys should come ride along with these bets. My DraftKings write-up is only $7.99. Just the read alone, I think, is worth it. Um, but if you got the money and you want to win some extra money, go ahead and get those bets, too. Let's get it. BestFightPicks.com. Kyle, we'll speak soon, my man. And that's why Big Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC 236? My fight to watch is going to be Jalen Turner versus Matt Frivola because I truly believe that they're going to stand and bang until one man falls. And uh, with just how they, they're both chinny, uh, <laughs> they both like getting dropped. So I think that's going to be, that's why it's main eventing the prelims. Yeah, aside from the two title fights, I'm going to have to go with Alan Juban versus Dwight Grant because if I had to make a promise that... No one's going to hump each other's legs. These two are going to stand and bang. One man might fall or someone might eat some hard kicks for three straight rounds. It's going to be Dwight Grant and Juban, so definitely tune into that one. That is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 236? My fighter to watch is going to be Kelvin Gastelum. Look, this is a guy who I've said is the most unassuming guy at 185. He constantly gets counted out in a lot of his fights. And, look, he's got a, a chance to shut down a big uh, a big hype train right now, man. they got a lot of plans for Israel, so Kelvin... Gasolum is my fighter to watch. My fighter to watch is Dustin the Diamond Poirier. When you talk about a guy that's paid his dues, that's earned his shot, that wasn't a flash in the pan and came out here and beat a couple guys that weren't on his level, you're talking about Dustin Poirier. The kind of competition he's faced throughout his entire UFC career in both weight classes, the ups, the downs, even back to the WEC, this is a guy that's paid his dues and deserves to win a championship belt here. And... For Max's case, if he comes out here and beats Poirier, holy shit, he's already a legend anyways. He's already the best featherweight of all time. So Max wins this. He's a champ champ. But for Poirier, I truly believe when you talk about paying your dues and earning that title shot or paid in full like Dustin likes to talk about, you're talking about a guy like Poirier, and he is my fighter to watch. 
Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday, UFC 236 in ATL. If you guys are going, make sure to hit us up. We will be there. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Check out our bets for this weekend because I got four bets as of right now, and I'm looking to add more at bestfightpicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, and Spotify. Our Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official. Thank you guys so much for all your support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.